Uh, Our gospel reading is taken from John chapter 13. Uh, We'll be reading the second half of John chapter 13, verses 18 to 30. And um, just as a reminder, as I mentioned earlier, Andy and myself will be going through all of these chapters. So this morning, Andy preached on the first half of John chapter 13, and I'll be doing the second half, and the next week he'll start 14, and or the, so on and so forth. So um, if you're able, Lent is also a great time to maybe try coming to the morning service if you usually come here or vice versa. Um, but if you're interested in at least just keeping along with the series of what we're doing, all the sermons are also available online if you so choose. Um, so our, our epistle reading is, or our, excuse me, our gospel reading is uh, John 13, verses 18 to 30, if you want to follow along with me. Uh, it's Jesus speaking. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and asked, or and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. So, (laughs) here we have this passage, uh, somewhat famous. You know, many people who don't even go to church or ever read the Bible would probably know that the name Judas has some negative associations. Um, and, and we're sort of left wondering who could do such a thing? You know, the sermon tonight is, is entitled that question they asked, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, Lord, who is it? Who, who's the one who would do this? You know, it, well, we'll get to it. Let's just go through and look and sort of make sure we understand what's happening. As it starts, Jesus is wrapping up from the previous section um, where he washed the disciples' feet, right? And he says, listen, he he actually quotes Psalm 41. Uh, It's a line from Psalm 41 about betrayal. Uh, It's a seemingly prophetic line from the psalmist, a deep betrayal. He actually says that someone who I shared food with will betray me, right? someone who I invited into my home, someone who I gave hospitality, someone who I did everything for will betray me. You know, this isn't so much a rule in our life today, (laughs) but in an ancient world, if you had someone in your home, if you invited someone in, if you shared a meal with someone, that was a big deal. And to say this person would betray you, you know, if you're... (laughs) I I don't totally endorse this show, but if you're a, you know, Game of Thrones fans... Fan, you may think of the Red Wedding, right? This horrible, atrocious thing that anyone would say, if you invite someone into your home, you should not betray them. 
And this is sort of what Jesus is saying. He's quoting this psalm where the psalmist talks about this, and as I said, somewhat prophetically. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me as a way of saying, well, betray me. And he says this, and and he goes on in verse 19, and he says, listen, to you disciples, to you 12, plus a few others, we know there might have been a few others there. He says, listen, I'm telling you, I'm warning you now, something is about to happen. Something really bad is about to happen. And, and it's going to happen, but listen, I'm telling you this now so that you will know that I am the one who I've said I was. I'm, say, I'm doing this now, you'll notice, and, and you'll see as things begin to unfold the next couple of days, you will see who I am. And he goes on, and he actually repeats this later, uh, later on in John 14, and then again in 17, in verse 20, he says, listen, anyone who knows who I am Verse 20, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Jesus will say this again later on in the next chapter and chapter after that. He says, if, if you know me, you know the one who sent me. If you know God, then you know I am sent by God. And that these two things, three things really, if you include the Spirit, as we know the Spirit to be, come together. And so he's telling his disciples, listen, something bad is about to happen, but it's going to reinforce some of the things we've been talking about that I am in fact sent by God for a purpose. And you will see these things. I think in a weird way, Jesus was actually trying to comfort the disciples, knowing that this would be a very, very difficult couple of days, and to say, listen, I'm telling you this now so that you know this was the plan. Anyone who accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. And then he just sort of says it. He was troubled in spirit, but he says, listen, one of you is going to betray me. Now, it wasn't a big group of people at dinner. It wasn't a big group of people at this Passover meal. Kind of an uncomfortable comment for Jesus to make. Right? Immediately, it's sort of a, well, which one is it? Who's the one who's going to do it? You know, all sort of looking around the room at each other. Who could have done it? Who will do it? What do you say to that? Well, the disciples actually had no idea what to say. (laughs) The scriptures tell us, I think it's really funny how John writes this because it's really Kind of true, right? His disciples, verse 22, stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. What do you mean? Is this like one of those things like where you called Peter Satan? You said, get behind me, Satan, where you just get mad at us? Because Jesus kind of got mad at his disciples a lot. Is it one of those things, Jesus? But is this actually going to be a betrayal? Who among us would do that? There's no way. And they're all sort of looking around, right? Peter's looking at John. John's looking at Peter. They're sort of sizing each other up, wondering if it's them. You know, one of the other ones, we're not really sure their names in the back, Andrew or Thomas or something. We're not really sure. You know, maybe it's one of them. They didn't know what to say. And then Peter, Peter's great. I'm not sure why Peter was shy in this moment. You ever notice when you read through Scripture, Peter is one of the ones who always sort of spouts off at the mouth. And yet here, Peter sort of says, um, (laughs) in verse 23 or 24, Simon Peter goes, hey, ask him which one. Like, why? It's not that big of a room. Why, why not just ask him? Maybe he was a little bit uh, gun shy for getting corrected with the whole washing of the feet thing, if you read that story. But he says, hey, hey, ask him. And so the disciple whom Jesus loves, who we understand to be John, says, hey, Jesus, which one is it? Who is it? Title of tonight's sermon Who is it? Who could do this thing? And then Jesus says, I'll tell you. It's the one who I'm going to give this piece of bread. 
It's the one who I dip this piece of bread and I'm going to give it to them. And which is interesting because a lot of historians actually believe that this was sort of a symbolic gesture. It's almost like now making a toast to someone at a party with champagne or something. This was actually a thing of honor they would do in their culture. That the host or the, 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 the main person would, would dip the bread and give it to someone of a, a guest they really cherished and honored. And Jesus actually does this to signify the person who would betray him. It's almost like after washing the disciples' feet, there's one final act where Jesus is saying, here, I'm doing you this great honor. What choice are you going to make? And then it says this thing, verse 27. It's really kind of hard for us. Uh, Maybe it's not hard. It's hard for me. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. We're going to come back to this in a second. And they were all really confused, it says. That no one really figured, wait, wait it was Judas? Well, go and do what you're supposed to do? And they thought, and it tells us, well, he was in charge of the money. Maybe Jesus was telling him to go give some money to the poor or, or go buy something else. And, and that's why he's sending Judas out now. And that's why Judas is rushing out of the room. No one really figured out what was going on in the moment. That all happened so fast. And then it was night. So the question we're left with is, Verse 25, Lord, who is it? Who would betray you in such a way? The disciples, John doesn't record. What, I really want to know what the conversation was after, right? <laughs> like Judas runs out, we're like, wait a minute, it was, it was him? It was him? We gave all our money to that guy. Like, what, why? what's going on? You know, I, I want to know what they said. I'm sure Peter said something. But, you know, we look at this and we sort of wonder, we don't hear about what the other disciples do until the garden, until they're praying together and everything after the meal. But I want to look at verse 27 specifically, what it means for us. Because if you're like me, when I read this passage, that's the number one thing that jumps out on me, jumps out at me. Satan entered into him. (laughs) What do we do with that? I want you to open your Bibles. I actually didn't have these put on the screen ahead of time, so you can either listen or open your Bibles if you want. Um, We'll be all in the Gospels. I just want to look at a couple of passages real quick that talks about our understanding of the devil and Satan to help us get our minds around this. So the first one is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Um, The Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. If you look at the first couple of verses here, the first six verses in Luke 22, um, it says, now the the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover, this is verse 1, Um, In verse 2, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Verse 3, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests of the officers of the temple guard, and they discussed with him how he might betray Jesus. So it wasn't just in this instant moment like something happened that wasn't coming. It actually says here in verse 22 that earlier on at some point Judas had gone to betray Jesus because of this influence of the devil or Satan or the enemy. If you, if you go back to our, our passage in, in John 13, just over a few pages, you can see in, chapter, or in verse 2 of chapter 13 that it even says the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. That's the beginning of John 13, verse 2. So we have sort of this precursor a little bit. You know, and I mention this for a reason. You know, oftentimes 
We think about sin, we think about betraying Jesus, we think about what Judas did, and we think about, it was just in the moment. Judas made a decision in the moment. And really, one of the things scripture is telling us, and the gospel writers are telling us, is that in fact, this was not just an in the moment thing for Judas. This wasn't just a surprise thing that, that Satan entered into Judas to take him over but actually that this had been going on for some time and that Judas had been considering these things and thinking about these things for some time. I want to show you still another passage. Um, John chapter 12, just before our reading tonight. John chapter 12 gives us even more of an insight into this. The first six verses of John chapter 12, they were having a dinner uh, in Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus among those reclining, verse 3. Then Mary took out uh, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped her feet with his hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. John 12, verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6, John tells us, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. And so John actually tells us, no, this Judas had actually been working on betraying Jesus for some time. He had been doubting Jesus and he had been selfish with their finances, with the disciples' finances. His decision to leave Jesus and to betray him was not a new one. It seems that his heart was always struggling with selfishness and concerned with money. You know, some questions I've actually wondered about this passage, John 13, verse 27, as we talk about, is there's, there's sort of two things I really wonder. If Satan entered him, was Jesus talking with, with Judas or was Jesus talking with Satan? You ever think about that? Or, or did Judas lose free will at some point? Like, did, did, did Satan sort of start treating him like a puppet and, and, and Judas was just sort of there? I've always sort of thought about these things because this is sort of a weird passage to me. You know, and unfortunately, John doesn't give us a whole lot to work with in the sense that, you know, he uses a couple of things interchangeably. He uses the word devil and Satan interchangeably, and so do some of the other gospel writers. Um, Just so you're aware, um, Satan actually comes from the Hebrew, which means more about, um, or which is more about, like, deceiver, or adversary, as we saw in the garden, right? Like the deceiver who deceived Adam and Eve. And the term devil, which is more of like slanderer, someone who speaks evil about someone, and is a Greek term. But, but seemingly in the Gospels, they're actually used interchangeably. And I'm not really sure if in this passage, because he changes twice in, verse, in chapter 13 from the devil to Satan, whether we're talking about the actual being that entered into Judas, or if he's talking more metaphorically about deceit and lies had entered into Judas's heart and taken him over. You know, you can look at the two differing terms throughout the Gospels, and it's really tough to get a clear view, and it's kind of confusing. And so really, I think there's those two options for us to think about. Um, The the first being that the actual being that we know to be the enemy or the deceiver or Satan that it talks about throughout Scripture, the actual being, whatever being that looks like, entered into Judas and somehow manifested himself in Judas um, to lead him to make this choice to betray Jesus. Right? If it helps you, it helps me. You can call it the sock puppet explanation. Okay? <laughs> the second option is that 
Judas actually felt guilty to, to this idea of deceit and lies, and that his mind and his heart had been continually deceived into what was most important. And over time, these things began to take hold in his life and his heart. And in that moment, Satan sort of metaphorically entered him and it finally had full control over him because he had been given him little footholds here and there along the way. You know, if you think about a major event in your life you've maybe done or a major choice in your life that you made a poor choice, usually it's not in the heat of the moment. Usually it's not instantaneous. It's something you've been thinking about for a while. It's something you've gone down the road and you've thought about, oh, how could I do that? How can I make that work? Oh, maybe if I said this, maybe if I acted this way, and you go down the road. You know, we often think about this with maybe a good example is uh, political leaders, say. Or maybe in the church. Let's just say the church. The church, as a pastor, I always wonder, man, how could a pastor end up having these great failures and these great public failures where the church implodes? And I think it wasn't just one decision the pastor made. It was decision after decision after decision to believe little lies, to believe, oh, I can just, this is okay. This much is fine. Oh, I can just go that far. And then before we know it, like the second plausible, or the second potential explanation, it's like the, the deceit and the lie has actually manifested itself and taken us over. And so whichever one of these two explanations it is, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest with you, you can decide for yourself. I think both are fine, and I think both teach us something very important. But whenever we talk about evil, whenever we talk about the devil, and as we go down this road, I want to talk about something and make it very clear. The first thing is this. I believe this. I believe Scripture teaches this, that there is indeed an enemy in this world, however that looks. And that enemy is not God, meaning that the devil, the enemy, is not omnipresent. He's not in all places at once. He is not all-powerful. He actually only goes and does what is allowed by God. As we see in the book of Job, he goes to, in the book of Job, it tells us the devil actually asked God's permission to mess with Job, and God says, yeah, my servant can handle it. It is entirely possible that, yes, in fact, the enemy did use all of his efforts to attack and influence Judas, though, because he wanted to derail Jesus. I mean, think about it. If you go back in the scriptures in, earlier in the Gospels, the devil actually failed at dissuading Jesus, remember? Jesus was talking with the devil, and the devil actually failed to use scripture to, to tempt and to turn Jesus away from his mission. And so what did the devil do? This is actually, I find, really fascinating. The, the enemy actually went to Judas and used the love of money to try to derail Jesus. Think about how powerful that is when, when in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The enemy, the deceiver, the enemy of this world, of Jesus Christ, used money to enter into someone's life and try to betray Jesus when he had failed to dissuade Jesus from his mission. So what I want to say is this, is no, I believe and that scripture teaches that there is evil at, at, at work in this world and it is a very real thing. And so whatever the answer is in this passage, whether the devil actually took over the body of Jesus or whether Judas was just influenced by lies and deceit time and time again, the truth is it is real. There is evil, there is lies, there is deceit in this world, and there is a force, there is a being, there is a presence that is trying to keep us from God. And the natural reaction when we read this passage is, well, let's blame Judas. 
Let's all look at Judas and say, that guy's the worst. <laughs> Let's point our finger and blame him. Did you know this? It's really interesting. There's a couple of names. Um, we had a little bit of a bump in the road when we went to name our son Berg, because that's not normal here. Um, but I actually looked it up, and did you know it's illegal in Switzerland and in most European countries to name your kid Judas? <laughs> you they just won't let you do it. It's just bad for the child, right? And the reason is because we all want to blame Judas. How, how could Judas do this thing? We read this passage and we point our finger at Judas and we say, how could you? And what are we saying? At least I'm not Judas. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> the question in the passage is, Lord, who is it? Who is it, church? Who will betray Jesus? <laughs> I kind of got good news and bad news on that one, you guys. <laughs> I will. And you will. When I read this passage, my first instinct is to blame Judas. But really, you know what this passage does to me? It holds up a mirror to me. And I read this, and it's like John is holding up a mirror in front of my face and saying, you're the one who'll do it. Look. Because if I believe lies and deceit of this world, if I allow these things to take a hold in my life, I will betray Jesus. I will turn my back on him. I've done it before. So have you. For Judas, the enemy used money. As we learn later, 30 pieces of silver. What is it for you? What, what is taking your heart away from Jesus? What is the little thing that sort of creeps its way in and over and over? You think, yeah, I could do that. I could just go that far. What is taking your love and affection away from Jesus that's, that's creeping in? You know, we want to make this passage about Judas. I don't think this passage is necessarily just about Judas. I think it's also about us. It's about me and it's about you. You ever feel it? You ever feel the evil pulling you away? Even if you're not a Christian, even if you're wondering about the Bible and God and you think some of this stuff is crazy that we do in here, have you ever felt the pull of evil? I have talked to people who do not know Jesus, who think my job is crazy, and I ask them this question and they say, yeah, there's evil in the world. This is real, and this is scary. And you say, like so many of the disciples did at one time or another, or we'll see what Peter does when he betrays, not me, Jesus, I won't do it. You say, yeah, yeah, Sam, I hear you. I hear you, pastor, that's fine, but I'm forgiven, I've been saved. Yes, we are forgiven, amen. But you know what? One of my favorite pastors said this, it helped my formation a lot. One of the things he said was, grace does not make sin safe. I've said it before in here and I'll say it again in here. Grace does not make sin safe. Just because we have been saved, it does not mean we should not fear evil. It does not mean we should turn from the error of our ways. It does not mean we should not pursue God with everything we have. Because we need to realize what Judas did was something that had worked its way into his head and into his heart over a long time. It was not his first time. We just read with the perfume. He was mad. Could have given that money to the poor. He didn't want the money for the poor. He knew that if we got the money, then he would be able to take a little off the top. This stuff had been working in his head for a while. And so, church, my question to you tonight, my challenge for you tonight is, what do you want? Who is it? 
What is pulling you away slowly? What is taking your worship from God? What is taking your affection from Jesus? When you look at this passage and John holds up the mirror to your face and says, who is it? What is your answer? What are those things that, are you, that you are allowing to deceive you? I want to end by just saying this. I want to point your attention to the very end of the passage and how John ends it. I think it's beautiful. And it was night. And it was night. We are going out into the world. We're going out into a world of evil. We're going out into a world of darkness. Judas left the light of the room with Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the believers, and went out into the darkness because he did not want to be there. Will we remain as you think about yourself and what God is calling you to in your future, will you remain with Jesus in the light or will you be pulled out into the night? Church, we worship together, we gather together so that people and things and evil will not pull us out into the darkness. We worship and turn to Jesus that we would no longer be in the dark but that we would be together with our Savior in the light. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for showing us ourselves in the story of Judas. We confess, Lord, that we need your forgiveness as much as he did. And so, Lord, when we feel a temptation to be pulled from you, when we feel lies and deceit working their way into our life, thinking, Lord, that there is a better way than you, would you reveal your love to us? God, when we run and run and run and we're so afraid to repent and come back, would you open your arms to us? God, thank you for your love, your justice, and your mercy. I pray that we would know that more and more together as your sons and daughters whom you love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.